and we had the place to ourselves. Um, had, had the pick of any table we wanted to be at there in that setting. Well, it is just a, a privilege and an honor for me to be with you here this morning, knowing uh, the Alliance Bible Fellowship name as I do know it in the various leadership circles of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And I can tell you this morning that I have this sense of being together gathered here with a very important strategic partner in the whole missions effort that goes on in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Which I want to try to convince you of this morning is not something that I own. It's not something that's owned in Colorado Springs where leadership is. It's not even something globally owned by our international workers that we send. Rather, ownership comes all the way back to this room right here and the second service and the third service. And I want to try to convince you this morning that this is your work. This is not just something that you, you are behind the scenes on. But you are a central part of this work that we're doing together to reach the world. Especially those parts of it where the gospel at this point is not available to people. So with that said, I, I just want to uh, emphasize again, repeat, it's just a real privilege to be here in the mountains of North Carolina. Now, I could hope that the sun would come out, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. Uh, driving up yesterday, Kathy and I came around several turns there on the mountain road, and I kept thinking, the views must be beautiful on certain days and times of the year. But I just want you to know that you folks have some of the prettiest fog I have ever seen. <laughs> and I came out of the hotel this morning walking across the parking lot and I just kind of felt like, whew. I mean, I thought, how do people do it? You got the mountains pushing up and in and all around and everything, and you've got the, the cloud and the fog coming down, and the, the little bit that remains for us to kind of move around is, is pretty limited. And I thought, it must get a little heavy life up here in the mountains from time to time. It's also a privilege for me to recognize this morning that I realize I'm in the backyard or the front yard of another organization that I also think very highly of. Samaritan's Purse is right here, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to find that there aren't some Samaritan's Purse folks uh, here among us this morning or later this morning. And uh, just to say a real quick word of appreciation for that organization as well, and to let uh, those folks know that my appreciation comes from personal experience. Kathy and I, in uh, 2004, when the terrible tsunami hit in uh, Southeast Asia, and uh, destroyed and took so many lives there, especially in the country of Indonesia. Kathy and I were back here in the States at that point. She working at a nurse in the hospital. I was working in headquarters of the Christian Missionary Alliance in Colorado Springs. Watching all of that on the news, sensing God leading us to connect to that effort to go out with relief and help and ministry. And so we, uh, we both took a leave of absence from the roles that we were in at that point. And six weeks, we lived in the Samaritan's Purse house there in Malabo, Indonesia. And uh, we uh, made excellent use 
of the motivated Samaritan's Purse staff that was there, as well as the resources that came into that picture as a result of the commitment of that organization as well. And probably to this day, I need to apologize to somebody in Samaritan's Purse. I don't know if there's anybody of significance here this morning that I could apologize to, but um, I was a bit abusive of some of the really nice pickup trucks that you all sent out there to Indonesia. And it wasn't me that buried that ATV out in the mud in the jungle that day, then it's probably still sitting there under about two feet of mud. And it was completely unintentional that I almost crashed that airplane that you all sent out there. But that's another story for another day, and we'll just move on to reshift back in the direction of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And Bonnie's back there going to help us this morning because in just a second, Bonnie will start. Um, oh, we're up already. That's fine. Y'all just look at that for just a second. I want to do three things here this morning. The first of which is to do what might sound to you a simple thing, but to me, it's just a very important thing. And that is to simply stand before you and representing the voices of leadership in the Christian Missionary Alliance, representing our global leadership especially, and our international workers all around the world, I simply want to stop, look you in the eye, and say to you, thank you. Full stop. Thank you. Thank you for praying. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for sending. Thank you for caring. Thank you for funding. That all comes from people just like yourself. And I don't know if anybody's ever come around in a setting like this to tell you how much that means to our workers and to leadership and to those that are today, as we sit here this morning, out on the front lines of some of the most challenging and dangerous ministry settings that we can send people into. But I know that I express their heartfelt uh, thank you as I share that with you this morning. Second thing that I would like to do is begin to just take a few minutes to try to um, give us a sense... Of, of a global picture of Alliance missions. Uh, this is not going to be an easy thing to get our heads around because when we're talking about Alliance missions, we're, we're not talking about something that's limited to one country or a couple of countries or limited to a continent or limited to a people group or limited to a focus group of a certain religious background. Uh, the Alliance has, has taken a bit of a shotgun approach to this whole uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We, we've kind of taken it literally. When I use the pronoun we, I mean all of us. Coming back again to who owns this thing, we do. And so if you look at the map here this morning, you see that when we're talking about Alliance Church, Alliance Missions, excuse me, we're talking about the world. We cover the world. You see here 67 countries where you have international workers this morning that you support directly in these various places around the world. So you're touching how many language groups this morning? You, you've got people in how many different places of tremendous need, whether that be at a physical, emotional, or spiritual level, which is our major concern. So we cover the world. The squares that are there in the center of that map indicate uh, those parts of the world that are, that are understood by researchers at this point to be our least reached parts of the world. Those parts of the world that we've got to get into as the next big push in missions. This would be the area of North Africa, the Middle East, and then on into North and Central Asia. All of which are places within the last two years, we together have placed four new teams within those squares. And we'll talk about those a little bit later. Let's go to the next slide, Bonnie, if we could. 
But missions is a personal thing, especially Alliance missions. And so we have the face of some of the 677 workers that you currently support through the Christian Missionary Alliance around the world. Aren't they a good-looking bunch? And we could tell stories that each of them have in terms of their ministry. And while 677 people might sound like a large staff, remember that it's the world. And a little bit of math would tell us if we're in 67 countries and we've got 677 people out serving in those countries, roughly what is the average size of a team overseas with the Christian Missionary Alliance? It's about 10 people. We've got staffs of 10 in these places seeking to reach a country. So while it is a large number and we're thankful for the support that comes and the work that goes on through their lives, before you I need to confess this morning that that we're thin. I don't know what the staff looks like at, at ABF here, and I'm not trying to make any kind of a comparison to that support, but I think you've got more than 10 people in this church. In most places, we have 10 people seeking to reach a country. And so this is an area where we just need to think about doing more. We just need to think about increasing our new appointments. And I would tell you that as a result of the last three or four years where the economy has, has taken the dive that it has here in the States and where funding has flattened out in terms of the Great Commission Fund, our new appointments have taken the hardest hit. I, for the last 10 years, ran the International Placement Office where for the first three years, 2002 to 2005, we appointed every year new workers approximately 65. The last three or four years, that number's dropped to about 25. So we're only sending about a third of the new workers each year that we had been sending for most of our history. We really need to see that come up. A thin team is a hurting team. A thin team begins to experience all the challenges of morale because somebody will get sick or somebody will have a problem with a child and they'll have to rotate back to the States so 10 becomes 8 and 8 becomes 6 and pretty soon we're real thin in some of these settings. So our our cry is that this 677 would increase significantly. Bonnie, let's go to the next one. But look what God has done. This may come as a surprise to you, but the Global Alliance family today numbers even higher than this. This is a 2011 statistic. The work that, that, the, the commitment, the partnership that has come from a church just like this one and from many churches around the country in the United States, God has taken and used and blessed. And today, the Alliance family globally numbers almost 6 million people. I don't know if that surprises you or not. I found that to be a, 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 a number that encourages me greatly to think that, that through our ministry together and our partnership, that many lives have been changed. Bonnie, let's go to the next slide. Some of that growth has been very significant, um, producing almost 20,000 churches globally. Let's go on to the next one then, Bonnie. And the remarkable growth that we've seen in the Philippines is just one example, where there, uh, actually, the CMA in the Philippines is larger than we are here in the United States, which we have about 400, almost half a million believers worshiping in almost 3,000 churches there in the Philippines. And the next slide... And Vietnam being another tremendous example of this kind of growth, where in 1975, when we were forced to leave Vietnam as a result of the war, there were about 150,000 Alliance believers there in that setting. Today, that church numbers almost 1.2 million believers. They recently had a gathering, and that's what this picture that you see is a photo from. They had a 100-year celebration of the Alliance Church in Vietnam, and this is in the city of Da Nang, 
at the major indoor uh, soccer facility there in town where 15,000 people crowded in to be a part of that. There are so many Alliance believers in Vietnam and, and then the diaspora that's gotten spread all around the world that they've had to hold this 100-year celebration in four settings in order to get everybody in. Or the next slide shows us Indonesia, where Kathy and I had the privilege of serving, and where today we see again half a million baptized believers in almost 3,000 churches. They're in the largest Muslim country in the world. Truly, God has blessed us. Next slide. Every four minutes, somebody prays to receive Christ through the ministry of the Christian Missionary Alliance somewhere in the world. Slide. Every week, nearly 3,000 new believers are baptized worldwide. Next one, Bonnie. And almost 15,000 students every year are trained through our 129 overseas uh, Bible schools, theological schools, and seminaries. And all of this in no small part due to the sacrificial sending and supporting of Alliance International Workers by churches, just like this one. Let's go on, Bonnie. Let's talk about some examples of work that's going on today. The slide that you see before you here is of a school that is being built just outside of the capital city of Amman, which is in Jordan. So right here in the center of the Middle East today, you are in the process of building a school. Now you didn't know it until just now that you own a school in Jordan, but now you do. This is a $4 million project that we believe will have an impact on that whole country and very possibly throughout even wider parts of the Middle East. Imagine as this school opens their doors for the very first time this fall, taking in students who will come from all kinds of households, only a small portion of them coming from Christian households, the vast majority of them coming from Muslim background families to take part in the quality education that will be had at this school It'll be staffed by people that we have prepared and trained. And so not only will they receive an excellent education in that setting, but they'll have opportunity to hear the gospel. We're with them. That'll travel back to their, their homes. So we're excited to see that this school is, is uh, much further along than some of the photos show here this morning uh, and will open its doors to, through the sixth grade this fall. Let's go ahead, Bonnie, one more. Or we could look at the, the country of Japan where recently we opened the Hope Center right there in that part of Japan that was most hardest hit by the tsunami that took so many lives and caused so much damage about two years ago. Japan, as you know, is a highly resistant country. It's a place that we have served and had workers in for a number of decades but have not seen uh, explosive kinds of growth like we would like to. It's a culture highly resistant to any kind of change, let alone the significant change that the gospel brings and requires in a setting. But the tsunami has, has shaken things significantly there in that country and in that setting. And so we took workers that were in other parts of Japan already having had long-term ministry there, and we brought them into this area where the, the uh, tsunami and earthquake victims are, and we opened the Hope Center there. So you own a center now also in Japan that today is reaching out with counseling services and other sorts of uh, relief kinds of efforts there to the victims of the, the uh, terrible tragedy that took place there in Japan. Let's move along to one of the prettiest slides that I have. 
And please don't try to focus your eyes or adjust your glasses. This one will not clarify for you. The identity of these people do need to be protected. And I can't tell you what country they're in, but I can tell you this morning that a year ago, we placed this new team of young workers with children and families and a whole bit in a country in North Africa where today they are in the midst of language study and initial building of relationships there in that setting of a country of approximately 15 million people with only 300 known believers. And there they are at work. And there's already been tremendous favor uh, placed upon them as we already have a community center up and officially registered with the government there uh, known as the family place. And it's just amazing as we move teams into some of these, these cutting-edge kinds of places, some of these greatly unreached kinds of places, what God does. And what happened was the senior leadership that we sent in there first was, was beginning to get to know neighbors and build friendships and, and a network there in this country. And one day he ran into a local guy there uh, who, in a conversation, simply mentioned to him, you know, one of the greatest needs that we feel here as a country is for our families to have help. Evidently, with all the cultural changes going on and modernization and everything else, this country of a, of a Muslim background, I can tell you that much, uh, families were struggling to figure out how to do family in terms of the new dynamics. And so he was telling our, our leader about this, and it, it sparked a thought to start this community center and name it what? Well, let's name it the family place. And so he took that name to local government authorities and asked if he could register this center formally and officially with the government as the family place. And sure enough, as soon as leaders in the government saw that this was going to have a daycare center in it and a uh, prenatal clinic and exercise uh, programs and English classes, all of which could benefit families, you know what happened? We're only in the country six months and already we have a formally registered ministry and center right there on a major downtown thoroughfare in the capital city of this country. Now, that's exciting stuff for me. And maybe someday they will be through here and you'll get to see their faces. Now, let's move on, Bonnie, to take a look. This is a very different sort of a place, jumping to Burkina Faso, a place where we've had work for a number of decades, the result of which is a national church that runs about 100,000 uh, baptized believers attending about 600 churches. So we do have a significant presence already in Burkina Faso. But as you would probably know, there are pockets and corners of all of these countries where there are tribal groups, people groups that have long been resistant to the gospel. And so there is one there in the corner of Burkina Faso that's been identified, the, the Bogos people of a Muslim background, uh, very resistant until just recently a project was begun where a number of churches in the U.S. partnered together to raise the funds to bring in well drilling equipment because these villages that these people lived in had no clean water. And so villages, three or four villages, have now had wells drilled. And as a result, there's a whole new openness to our people coming into these villages and building friendships and relationships and a, and a much higher level of receptivity in terms of the message that our workers bring. And I'd love to tell you this morning that all of those villages have come to Christ and churches have been planted in every one of them, but I can't tell you that because it's still a hard place. And resistance breaks down slowly. But already our workers, and this has only been going on, they're drilling wells out there today as we sit here. 
But already they're seeing individuals step forward and indicate interest in hearing more and understanding better. They've recently had a case where a man was possessed by an evil spirit. Uh, Not uncommon in that part of Africa at all. And so our workers began to counsel and, and teach and pray for. And there was release and there was deliverance in that situation. And this individual, his name is Moses, if you remember to pray for Moses. is there in that village by himself. He's somewhere between a decision for Christ and staying with the old ways. But he's experienced the power of God in his life. And uh, this is how it starts. It starts with one and then two. And then we believe it can turn into a flood. But that's a work that you are doing today in Burkina Faso as you uh, participate in a well drilling project like that through Alliance Missions. Let's go to the next one. Um, You know, you see a lot of young people in this picture, don't you? Maybe you're not, there's not too many young people here with us at this hour in the morning. I would take notes, so I I don't know how this will come across. But uh, I love to talk about the Envision site that we have opened in Taipei, Taiwan. I love to talk about it because it's all 20-somethings. None of us, including myself, would be welcome there. They don't want our kind. They don't want the the white or the gray hair. They want want the tattoos. They, They want different kind of things going on that I know we're all like, that's a different way. Well, um... Leadership became aware of the fact that we haven't really created effective on-ramps for our 20-somethings. We've kind of bypassed them in terms of our whole missions effort. And it's created a situation in our churches where a group like ourselves, the, the age level that I'm seeing on average here this morning, are very committed and very loyal and very engaged in all that we're doing. But that baton is not being passed to the 20-somethings. And so leadership said, we need a program specifically, we need an effort specifically that will capture the attention of our 20-somethings and become an on-ramp for them. And so Envision was born. The very first site was Taipei. I was in the international placement office at the time that we did this, and they said, they said Rick, you need to go out and identify a small group of 20-somethings, recent graduates from our colleges that we can send to Taipei and, and see what will happen when they start a ministry there. And I went, are you serious? Are we really going to do this? Just turn them loose in an overseas setting in another culture. And, and I'm, I, you know, I, I know the price that has to be paid, and I know how complicated that is and how challenging that can be. And I'm like, well, well let's put some veterans with them. I'm okay with the idea. No, we're not going to put any of the veterans with them. We just want to plunk them down in Taipei and see what they'll come up with. Well, finally, I was convinced, and we did send this team, and the young man in the lower right corner is the leader. He is in charge. Amazing young man. They got out there, and these young people, I'm telling you, uh, they're in a part of Taipei called Ximending, which is the center of nightlife in that major city of Taipei. It's like a ghost town during the day, but at night, it just lights up. It's about a 10-square-block area, and the young people of Taiwan flood in there. And these, this group that's rotated now, and they've seen numbers of young people come through there, uh, they, they secured facilities right in the middle of that. Now, it's not bars, and it's not red-light district. It's not that kind of nightlife. It's more like arcades and, and uh, what do you call it when you try to sing poorly to other people's songs? What is it? Yeah, 
karaoke and, and that kind of thing that goes on. But they go up and down the street and they'll suddenly do dramas on a street corner or they'll just start speaking and, and doing, I just, they, do, they just come right up to people. And we thought, well, what will they do for language? And they said, well, we don't want to go to language school like you did it. Two years, Kathy and I spent every day studying the Indonesian. We don't need to do that. Huh? Sure enough, walking the streets, engaging people, just, just hanging out with people. This young man in the lower right corner speaks Chinese. And I said, yeah, right. I couldn't believe it. One of our leaders, who is a long-term Taiwan veteran, which at that time was in Colorado Springs, he said, I'm just going to go out and see what they're doing. He goes out and he comes back and he said, Rick, you won't believe it. He said, he, I heard him preach in Chinese, has never had a formal class, just picking it up on the streets, and about a year, year and a half into all of this, he's actually preaching in Chinese. They have led 50 to 60 Taiwanese young people to Christ. They've got a couple of churches started and going there in that place, and there's no veteran involvement whatsoever. That's envisioned. Uh, and Vision has built sites all over the, the world, uh, Taipei just having been the first one. And it's a tremendous program for your young people to look for an on-ramp uh, into Alliance Missions. Bonnie, let's take a quick jump. Just to show you Kurdistan, northern Iraq, those people that were so, so abused by Saddam Hussein, there's an openness there, especially to Americans who are seen in that part of the world, that part of Iraq, as the people that came in and saved the day. And so our workers are very well received there, and that's the community center that's been opened in the city of Sulaymaniyah. And uh, every night during the week, that place is just flooded with Iraqi people, with Kurd, Kurdish people coming in for English classes and just to hang out with American young people. And relationships happen, and conversations take place, and, and, and people hear of Christ, and they have seen numbers of people find Christ in that setting. We've recently added an international church to that situation and uh, it's just continuing to grow. Let's jump to one more, uh, Bonnie, if we can. The Women and Children's Hospital in Kuchiala, Mali. Mali was identified as having one of the poorest, uh, what's the birth rate called, Kath? The uh, uh, infant mortality rate? Yeah. One of the poorest infant mortality rates in the world. And so it was there that we determined that's the place to put a women and children's hospital. And so the Kuchiala Hospital was started in 2006. This is, again, this is your work. This is something that you have done through your giving, through your praying, through your sacrifice. They recently celebrated the birth of the 10,000th healthy little child, a baby girl. And they're just tremendous medical facilities, uh, uh, medical services provided in this facility. And, and um, you know, when you get discharged from a hospital here in the United States, is it a part of the protocol, those of you who have had the pleasant experience of being in, a, the unpleasant experience of being in a hospital, was it part of your discharge protocol that you hear the gospel? Uh, probably not. In this hospital, that's a line on the box that nobody gets discharged from the hospital until they have had the gospel presented to them. And so they've seen hundreds every year of people find Christ there in that hospital. It's just in the middle of nowhere, just surrounded by dry, dusty, brown. Now the sun comes out every day. You know, it's really not a bad place. <laughs> but they have the other problem. 
And uh, just a challenging place that, that I've watched some of the most gifted doctors and nurses who could be on this side of the world earning the kind of and having the kind of living that can be had in, in that sort of a setting say no to all of that and, and move to Kuchiala and, and serve uh, and provide a level of medical care unheard of anywhere else in that country and in most of West Africa. But that's a work that you have supported and been a critical part of. Let's move one more time, Bonnie. Looking quickly, the country of Cambodia is in harvest. We are seeing more churches planted every year in Cambodia than any other of the countries where we have work in. They're planting roughly 25 to 30 new churches every year there in that setting. And that country that most of us would recall has been known as the killing fields is now becoming a country known as the living fields, as, as Alliance workers said about there. And you can see several of these slides indicating people uh, making decisions for Christ and uh, uh, moving in the direction of a commitment to him. Um, our workers are involved in an interdenominational effort there in Cambodia seeking to plant a Christian presence in every village in Cambodia by the year 2021. That's a big job. 14,000 villages in Cambodia of which currently only 3,000 have a Christian presence. But at the rate that all of these groups are moving out and getting into these new villages along with our alliance workers, uh, we're believing God that that can happen by the year 2021. Then lastly, Bonnie, if we can jump to this quick slide. China, the couple, which side? Left side at the bottom, Luke and Amy Wong. Uh, I met Luke and Amy back in 2004 when they applied to serve with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and I was setting them up for interviews and doing assessments and all that was a part of that process. And Luke was a mid-level manager with IBM at the time in New York City, a very gifted computer background kind of a guy, very quick mind and quick learner. Uh, Amy, his wife, both are Chinese Americans, but Amy, his wife, was an assistant district attorney in Brooklyn. Both of them, again, uh, secure in terms of the things that the world would try to convince us we need to have in order to live comfortably. And yet they heard a call from God as they attended an Alliance church there in the New York City area to serve. And so they, they offered themselves, and we went through the interview process, and um, uh, ultimately they were sent to China to teach English. <clears throat> I always thought Luke would do something more than teach English. There was just so much more to this couple. And sure enough, they, they, they got to China and they, they began to teach English because unfortunately, both of them are second or third generation Chinese American. They don't speak Chinese anymore. So here they're back in China now and they don't speak Chinese, which is a tremendous challenge for them, but they speak excellent English. And so they began to teach English there in that setting. But Luke's a thinker. Luke is strategic. Luke's a visionary kind of guy, and so he got a vision for turning this, these small groups of teaching English into something much more and taking it to whole new levels. And so he's created a seven-level discipleship school that's known as The Bridge, with the ultimate goal being to graduate people from that seventh level and have them go into other cities and parts of China to start other versions of The Bridge. 
And the amazing uh, side benefit and fruit of this bridge ministry with their first, they've had about 27 people now come all the way through the program, is that these people are so well trained and they all come to faith as they come through this process at about level one and then they're taken to the next levels. But they come out at the top, Luke says, his 27 graduates are always snapped up by major companies in Japan because they're seen as so highly trained and skilled. Because what they do is at the very first level, at the lowest level, there are English classes that are used to attract, but also life skills kinds of training in, in um, uh, conflict management and, and, and uh, strategic planning and all that's a part of, of a business kind of a situation. And so uh, Luke is just thrilled to see these new believers that he's trained and discipled all the way up through now being spread out into companies in other parts of China where they'll continue to be salt and light in that kind of a setting. So he went from having a vision as he entered Japan, I'm sorry, China, of leading uh, English groups of eight or ten people to now seeing a situation where a God is blessing in such a way that a much broader impact is being had Bonnie, thank you. You can, you can pull that down. That's, that's all the, the uh, visuals that I have for you this morning. But I'd like to take the remaining minutes that we have to just try to address the question, okay, we've seen how God has and is blessing. We've seen uh, some of the work going on around the world, which I hope is as much an encouragement to you as it is to me to see that and just to have a sense that, that what I'm back doing back here, it connects to impact that's taking place way out there, to lives that are being changed way out there, to families that are being helped way out there, and I can be here and be a part of that through my praying and through my giving and through my encouraging of our international workers. But you know... As I look to the future, and I think uh, that we need to be very sure that our best days are not behind us, I'm thinking that we need to be moving in the direction of a whole new level of commitment as we face the challenges of the future. The world in which we live is not getting any easier to do the kind of work that we want to do. In fact, any of us that are tuned into local or evening news are aware that our world is changing in such a way as to make it ever more difficult for us to do the sending uh, that we need to do in order to reach the unreached. Any American today overseas has a target on their back. Uh, leadership in Colorado Springs has, hadly, has actually uh, had very focused meetings to make arrangements and develop protocols and backup systems for that day that we have to deal with the first situation in which we face a martyr, which we haven't had for some time. But the expectation is that it would probably happen. The days ahead are challenging days, requiring a commitment that rises above the commitment that we currently walk in. As we... Um, Think about that together here this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd, I'd like to invite you to open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I'd like in just a few minutes to focus briefly on a few words here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that summarize the life, the ministry, the passion, the commitment of the Apostle Paul, hoping that he becomes for us a model, that we become the kinds of individuals that can sustain 
the kind of effort that God will bless and use to reach the unreached around the world. Verses 22 and 23 is where my focus is for just a few minutes. Words that probably you've read before, they're some of my favorite in thinking about the Apostle Paul and who he was. To the weak, I became weak. He starts with the weak, not with the strong. He's okay with the weak. He's comfortable with the weak. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Let me just point out some types of commitment that I see here in the Apostle Paul. First is the smallest word in the English language repeated down through those two verses at least three times. Uh, Looking at it once again, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. I, 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 I. Is this the eye of the braggart? Is this the eye of the one who is hoping for recognition and wanting for people to be aware of what they have done? I don't think so. I think we know the Apostle Paul far too well to think that this comes out of some self-serving motivation. So it's not the eye of the person looking for recognition. What kind of an eye is it? I see in it the fact of Paul's being personally committed to reaching the unreached. Personally committed to reaching the unreached. I want God to use me. You know, the the phrase that scares me uh, more than anything else when I hear it said in regard to missions work or the Great Commission is when people will stand up and innocently, and they really don't mean to do harm, but they'll say something like, missions is everybody's job. I don't think there's any easier or quicker way to make sure something does not get done than to give it to everybody. Missions isn't everybody's job. Paul would have said, it's my job to do all that I can. He wasn't worried about Peter. He wasn't worried about the other disciples. He wasn't concerned about what other people were doing. He was only concerned that he be in that place where his life was being invested to reach the unreached. The quickest way to make sure a job gets done is to do what with it? Give it to this lady right down here in the green jacket. I'm sorry, I don't know your name, and I apologize for pointing you out. But she just looks like the kind of a lady that if I give her a job, it would get done. Because she would be personally responsible for it. The Great Commission is not our job, folks. It's my job. It's your job. Your job. Your job. It's all of our calling, individually. Paul was personally committed to the task. The second type of commitment that I I note here in these verses, Paul, at the end of verse 22, says, I become all things to all men, so by all possible means, by all possible means. The fascinating thing to stop and think about here is, you know, what Paul's referring to here is method. Paul was concerned about 
how to get this done by all possible means. Paul, Paul wasn't thinking just of strategies. He was, he, was, he was dialing right down to, okay, what are the steps? What, what methods? What do I do now in order to reach the unreached? And so as we look back through his life and history and the scripture unfolds, who he was, we can see a, a change and a shifting in his approach to different groups because Paul was always thinking about how to get it done. See, not only was Paul personally committed to reaching the unreached, he was also actively committed. It wasn't just Paul's heart that was burdened for the lost. It was his hands and his feet that got involved in ways that resulted in them hearing the gospel and having the opportunity to find Christ. Paul was not a dreamer of ministry. He was a doer of ministry. And so Jesus is still looking for doers. Jesus is still looking for workers. Isn't that the way he encourages us to pray? That the Lord of the harvest would send forth into his harvest field, what? Workers. And so I would challenge you here this morning, what work have you put your hands to? What ministry are you involved in? What setting are you using the gifts that God has given to you? And most directly in regard to the Great Commission, which we now understand requires our personal commitment to it, what level of action have you risen to in regard to the unreached? What action are you taking that they might be reached? So many options are there before us. We can, some of us, go. And though we're not the youngest part of the church gathered here this morning, there are young people among us, and I would challenge the young people, you can go. You can go. God can call you to go. I found the Christian Missionary Alliance a little later in life as a young adult. I wasn't born and raised in this, dare I call it, an outfit. I wasn't born and raised in the CMA, but I found them as about a 21, 22-year-old, newly having come to Christ through the ministry of Campus Crusade on the West Virginia University campus, which they played Division I basketball as well. And uh, not long after that, the relationship with Campus Crusade did not continue, but I found this new group, the CMA. I got in there, and there was just things I just loved about the organization, the church, the people. And, and as I began to attend and get involved in ministry there in my church, I began to see these international workers up on the platform and speaking, talking, telling about their work around the world. And it came to me one day that you can get paid to do this. You, you get to do this. And I, I kind of looked around at the young people that had traditionally been a part of that church, and they were like, oh, no, God, don't call me to be a missionary. And I was like, yeah, I would love to do this. Why not? Of course, you have to stop and discern the will of God in a situation like that because it's not about an emotional uh, opportunity to travel the world. If that's what it's about, it's over in about a week. It needs something deeper than that to sustain it. But what level of action have each of us risen to? Paul was actively committed. 
as well as personally committed. The last one is probably the easiest one for us to all pull out. Because that word all is repeated down through there for emphasis at least three times. Let's read it one more time. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all men that by all possible means I might save some. I'd do all of this for the sake of the gospel. You can already guess my third point. Not only was Paul personally committed and actively committed, but he was teetotally committed. What is teetotal commitment? That's the person that doesn't draw any lines. That's the person that doesn't try to strike any bargains with God. That's the person like Paul that says, anyone, anywhere, I'll do anything. And that's the kind of person and that's the kind of church that God takes and does amazing things with everywhere. He loves it when we take our hands off and say, Lord, yes, anything, anything. But as human beings, we're prone to draw the lines and recognize the limitations that come into place and uh, begin to think that there's certain things God can't do in our lives. When in reality, maintaining a posture of total commitment is the best place to be. I woke up in my hotel room this morning. I opened the curtains of the hotel room, hoping for some sunshine. Didn't get it. Closed the curtains of the room and thought, wow. Uh, actually, as I looked across there, I could see there was a mountain kind of behind the hotel. I could make out, you know, through the mist and the fog and everything, there was a mountain. I thought, boy, this must be a beautiful scene at sometimes in the year. And, and I was praying about our time together this morning, and I heard God say, Rick, call these people out. Call them out on the Great Commission. And I said, Lord, what do you mean, call them out? And I thought I heard the Lord say, these are the very people that we need fully engaged. And I said, Lord, uh, they don't look any different than anybody else to me. I went to Walmart last night. Um, and the Lord said, take another look. And I looked again out that window and, and, and the fog started to kind of peel its way up that behind and there was a mountain. You call them mountains. I've lived in Colorado. I'm, I'll go along with it. They're mountains. They are mountains. Absolutely. And um, he said, Rick, these people love mountains. Oh, my. That's right. They're mountain climbers. I'll tell you, there's no greater mountain that stands before us today than the parts of the world that we still need to get into to reach the unreached. Those are mountains. And we need people that love mountains. And God was just saying to me, you are going to be among a people this morning that love mountains. Look, I, as I drove over here this morning, I couldn't believe how much bulldozer work gets done around here to put a building up. I mean, you people take the tops of mountains off to build a garage or a parking lot. You move tons and tons and tons of dirt to build a parking garage. And I just was blessed driving over here this morning and thinking, what would full engagement of the Alliance Bible Fellowship do in terms of leveling out and, and chewing away at the mountains that we, we have before us in terms of reaching the unreached? And so let me challenge you here this morning. There's a mountain out there, but it's going to take a personal commitment on each of our parts. Let me ask you again, what are you doing? 
an active commitment? What is that work that you've put your hands to? Short-term ministry? Is it a giving work that God has called you to? Is it a praying work that God has gifted you for? Is it going, young people, that God is calling you to? Um, May God uh, be at work in our lives, taking those here this morning that you love your mountains. Join me in another mountain, would you? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for these good people. Ask your blessing upon them as they continue in in the journey of uh, impacting this area locally right here as well as engaging in work all over the world. Uh, I pray your blessing in such a way and your using of this congregation in such a way that many would come to hear, come to find you, and experience the life change that is found only in the person of your son. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, Rick. Um, as he began this morning, he said he wanted to do three things. He wanted to, uh, to thank us uh, for our uh, sending and supporting and, and, and giving and, and, and going. And uh, I, think that's a great, I think that's a great thing to do. He also then wanted to share uh, about the work of the Christian Missionary Alliance around uh, the world. And you got to see a, a little picture of of 67 different countries. And in those 67 countries, there are other countries we're not in because we're no longer needed there. The work has been established there. And you got to see a little picture of why we choose to be part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance because they do missions well. I didn't say they do missions best. There are other groups that are doing great work, but we've chosen to partner with the Christian Missionary Alliance because they do it very, very, very well. But then the third thing he wanted to do was to challenge us personally.